The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio. This is episode 389 coming to you on Tuesday, November 10th. We're going to look back at USC's 28-27 win over the Arizona State Sun Devils at the Coliseum on Saturday morning. This is the Fallout episode. It's all about that game to see what you guys are thinking, see what we're thinking, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni, wherever you will get your podcasts, we are there. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com. Slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1-USC-Second-Woodsburn-Show. Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola, here in the Reign of Troy studio. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back with the first Fallout edition of uh, the podcast this year. It's... It's been a lot longer than we we thought it would be, but yeah. uh, here we are with a game review. Yeah, I I for it's been so long I forgot how everything worked. How far did you have to scroll down to find the Google Doc with our uh, our rundown see, for the game review? I make bookmarks, unlike you. Oh, see, I don't. I had it bookmarked already. Oh well, then good on you. <laughs> can, can we give a little inside baseball to your? unwillingness to make a bookmark for SC's Zoom press conferences? I, I, I have the link that you sent me in Slack a few weeks ago. Uh, Why uh, do okay, I need so, to... So this is what... This is a little <laughs> inside baseball. USC's press conferences are on Zoom right now, right? There is a link, and that one link is the same link that all the press conferences are on. You would think... You would just make a bookmark on your computer of that link, right? That says USC press conferences, Zoom, whatever. This is the link. No. Alicia has this link 
that I sent to her in Slack over a month ago. That she <laughs> every day she needs it, she goes into Slack, into our conversation, and scrolls up through a month's worth of conversations to find it, to click on it every day that she needs it. Well, that's where Make it is. Make a freaking bookmark, man. <laughs> that's where it is, though. Make a bookmark. I don't, I mean, it's perfectly fine. It's it's where I know it is. You make a bookmark and you know, like, think of how little effort it takes to make a bookmark compared to all of that. I mean, I don't view it as that much effort, though. It's 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 simple enough. A lot of a lot of days, P- people. Li- a lot of day, no, a lot of days. Like when I open Slack, it's already open to that portion of the uh, you of still the conversation. Have to open Slack. Well, Slack imagine is always if you open. were just in Chrome and you just hit a bookmark. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue people, that that's probably the best way. But please call into the rant line two one three three seven three one eight seven two and tell this woman. To make a bookmark. Just bookmark it. <laughs> I'll, I'll bookmark it, I promise. It's the 21st century. Eventually. It's not hard to bookmark maybe, things. Maybe tomorrow when I wake up, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> maybe. I'm going to go under your computer and make the bookmark for you. <laughs> yeah. Just you, bookmark it, man. Okay. You're killing me. Yeah. You're killing me. So, yeah, I, I've had the, the template bookmarked uh, forever. A uh, little inside baseball again about how we make the show. We have a rundown. Um, in Google Docs, and we have a different we have different types of rundowns, and then we have templates for each rundown. So we have a rundown for what a game preview looks like, for what a game Fallout episode looks like, for what a regular episode looks like, uh, and what have you. And then we also have a blank version so that we can just copy and paste that into um, into the doc and just fill it out again. Um, the the format so that way everything is the same. And I have that all in my my. Uh, bookmarks, easy peasy. But what I forgot is the wealth of calls that we got on the uh, the rant line. So mm-hmm. I spent yesterday. I'm like, oh, it's like a it's like a day off, a day off of work. I'm just gonna spend my day playing Madden and and uh, the F1 game. I'm just gonna do this and do that. totally not thinking, dude. Edit the rant line montage. <laughs> which usually takes you quite a little while. I know. So then I, I wake up on Monday morning. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to rent and do all the rant line montage stuff. Yeah. I mean, so? this, is, this is the bed you make for yourself. I know. I know. <laughs> but uh, you guys were awesome in your calls into the rant line. 213-373-1872 is the phone number into the rant rant line. Let's get to it. Your calls after USC's one-point miracle win over the Arizona State Sun Devils on Saturday. Here's what you guys had to say. Michael, Alicia, it is halftime of the ASU game, and I just have one thing to say. After waiting all this time since December, things are the same. I mean, this is such a joke. It's the same exact USC team we've seen for the last 10 years. It's the same stuff that we've seen year after year. It's just, I, I just don't even know what to say anymore. It's, I feel like it's so hard and therefore impressive to be the same level of average for freaking five seasons. At least if they got bad, that's movement. One way or the other. Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Are the same year after year. 
for the last 10 years. It's the same stuff that we've seen year after year. Year after year? Oh, no! What's up, Rainer Troy? Hi, guys. Hello, Rainer Troy. Hey, guys. This is Tony from the Inland Empire. This is Dan from Burbank. It's your boy, Brandon. Darlene from Grand Terrace. Hey, guys. This is Michael in Idaho. Trini calling in from rural Michigan. Hey, Rainer Troy. It's Travis. First time calling in. This is Nick from, uh, what are you, California? They're from North Hollywood. This is Marcelo from Austin, Texas, by the way. How are you guys doing? Hey, Rainer Troy. This is L.A. Fred calling. Uh, who of us wasn't excited for the opener, even though it wasn't Alabama like we thought? The game was at 9 a.m. West Coast time, which is certainly not ideal for any of us in California. But coming right out of the box, let's see where we stand up, playing ASU. Excited for Todd Orlando's defense for year two under Graham Harrell's offense. And what do we see? The defense is, eh. and the offense was just, eh. We have four turnovers. We get outcoached, which is per norm. Definitely love the physicality from Todd Orlando, but the over-aggressive defense with all the scheme, every play getting gashed for long runs. You cannot keep running that type of thing, leaving that damn quarterback to pick up first down. Offense, I like Graham Harrell, but it just ain't going to work. Air raid is too easy to defend, and if they're not making adjustments, then what's the point? And I, in large part, blame the coaches. I hear we were told they were, you know, there was more hitting going on and, and the team would be in effect better prepared, but I gotta admit, Arizona State to me looks like by far the better team. Arizona has in like a whole hundred plus hours to work on their playbook and all that and work in practice. Did that play a major factor in it? Because the way I see looking when it looked you can be Arizona State was like, wow. I mean, this is what's happening when you're letting Kerm Edwards and Arizona State out-recruit you in Southern California. What a joke. I don't know what that was as far as coaching goes. Man, where do I even start? First of all, fire Helton. Clay Helton should have been gone two years ago. We've known that, and we just keep getting shown different variations of why. How many Clay Helton wins during his era have felt more like losses than actual wins? Too many for me to count. Man, this loss to me this is really painful. So when do we get about Helton out? Hey guys, halfway through the third quarter, quick question, when is Clay Helton's contract up? And uh, any reporting on what the buyout is this year? There's perhaps a GoFundMe love to contribute. Asking for a friend. Man, our old line looks soft. I heard all about the physicality with, with this new defensive coaching staff, and I really didn't see it today. Can't be physical if you're not physical in practice. Bottom line. They talk about we're being more physical in practice. I did not see it. We are getting punked and bullied by ASU. We were expecting such high hopes. Man, we suck. If you think I could have thought that we were going to go 7-0 and and run to the table. I believe, and I felt so stupid for believing when we found ourselves down two touchdowns. I just really don't get it. I don't really understand what the adjustments were this offseason. Set up for an onside kick, and I'm like, oh, God, well, this is going to be stupid. We never recover an onside. Holy crap, we recovered the onside kick. All right. Hey, this is Michael in Idaho again. I'll, I'll confess, mea culpa, maxima mea culpa. Radio Troy Radio, I guess we're calling into the Ravens? We should have lost that game, obviously. And I don't, I, I'm not one of those root for SC to lose guys because I think that's ridiculous. But, you know, we should have lost that game. Honestly, they 
did that whole ending just to throw Alicia over the edge in the car cast. Give us what the people want, Alicia, and and go ham on this car cast. You've earned it. I mean, glad if he came back and won, but I mean, they still need a lot of fixing. I'm happy they won, but man, they're going to have to do better. I, I honestly don't know whether to be happy about this win or mad that we didn't get blown out and one step closer to Clay Helton being bye-bye. I don't know if I'm happy. I don't know if I'm surprised. I just don't know what to feel. Can you help me out? As I often tell my kids, I'll always gladly take an ugly win over a pretty loss any day of the week. When all hope was lost, the Trojans did what I did not think they would do, and that was they fought the freak on. And you know what? We needed a win in 2020, and did we freaking get one? We had zero business winning that game. We should have lost it. It was embarrassing. There's so much to unpack. I'm looking at my five-month-old who's looking at me going, what was that? That said... 2020, I'm going to take a win where a win is absolutely due. There's only a few games, so I'm trying to enjoy all of them. I enjoyed talking with the Rock crew a little on Slack. I enjoyed the fact that there was just packed all football in general. Loved watching it and uh, with, with my people, and I loved uh, following along with the Rain and Troy, and I'll continue to do for the show for the rest of the year. Uh, and for the first time since last December, get ready and open up that first Big-ass beer of the season. And take joy in being a Trojan fan, everybody. Good to be on the ra- uh, rave line again. Fight, fight on. Fight on until next week. Fight on and beat the Wildcats. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on, baby. Fight out. Take care. Bye. Man, it's so good to have the rant line back, isn't it? I know it's a lot of work for you, but it <laughs> it's is. so good. It, it, it's wonderful. I feel bad, though. Uh, we're listening to those calls, and, you know, Marcelo in Austin kind of hit on... Some things, some feedback that we, not enough feedback, some hope that people had after the game thinking, oh man, this is prime for an Alicia rant. Like Alicia's going to go off in the car cast. And like, we're listening to all of these things after we've recorded the car cast. And like, I didn't go off in the car cast. I feel like I let everyone down. I don't think either one of us did. Yeah. It was very, I, I felt like I was very calm and very shruggy and just like, well, here we are. Like, I couldn't even get mad. I wonder if USC hadn't done the the miraculous and, and overturned that, that deficit in the, at the end of the game, if maybe I would have had more angry juice about, like, how, well, they ruined the season. It's already week one. The rest of the season is, is, is all for naught, all that kind of stuff. No. No. Bad USC. No. But we, we avoided that uh, by USC scoring those two touchdowns at the end of the game. And so, you know... We'll have maybe somewhere somewhere else down the line uh, a true Alicia rant uh, about the game, but you know it was <laughs> it was what it was, and you know on on rewatch it was even more what it was. It's just it's just one of those days. So I apologize for not bringing the fire in the car cast, but there's still time yet in this uh, in this young season. Yeah, there's still five more games uh, if COVID complies, and we're able to get in those those five games. Um, but yeah, thanks for everyone to call into the rant line. 213-373-1872 is the phone number. If you didn't call this week, be sure to call next week. And as always, you can call in and ask your questions. We do have a mailbag. So if you don't hear yourself in the montage, you might be in the mailbag later in this episode. Uh, and another way to get in touch with us is just to leave a review on iTunes. We got two new or Apple podcasts. They changed the name forever ago. Yeah, that's 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 their problem. It's I, still I, iTunes. I, I still I, I still like calling it iTunes. 
Uh, Apple Podcasts. We've got two new reviews there. First comes from Leilani08 that says, Awesome Podcasts, five stars. Thank you for all of your guys' hard work to cover this team that we love, even if it drives us all crazy at times. Fight on. Yeah, thank you so much, Leilani. That's uh, that's, that's what this team does. That's for dang sure. Uh, but thank you for sticking with us even through all the madness and all the crazy times. Uh, because, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to to help everybody. I mean, we're a therapy session more than anything for ourselves and hopefully for you on how to process dealing with, uh, with this team. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, next one comes from N-O-P-Q Watro. I think it's M N O P Quattro. Yeah, I can't. I can't, I can't read. Nop Quattro. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, b- by the way, this reminds me of. I can't remember what the connection was, uh, where the, where this came from, uh, but I heard the story of the this kid that was named J K M O P, M N O P, J K. M-N-O-P. That was how the name was spelled? It was Noel. And and it was pronounced Noel. Budum Tish. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah. M-N-O-P Noel Quattro. Noel Quattro. Yeah. Says, my new favorite SC podcast, five stars. Been listening regularly now, and you are all the best. Your knowledge and analysis is outstanding, but what really makes it is your chemistry and interactions. Keep it going. Fight on. Thank you. That's uh, That's what we're going for. Chemistry and um, uh, camaraderie, all the, all those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. And and to be knowledgeable and and have good analysis is I also mean, that's important too. A guess. little bit important. A little bit. But uh, but yeah, we have fun making the pod, and and hopefully you guys uh, key in on that. And thank you very much for the five star review, Noel Quattro. That's your new name. Sure, let's go with it. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, to the Carcast and uh, and whatnot, and to our main show uh, and all of the support. If you want to give us more support, you as always can do so over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Alisa, tell us what's going down on Patreon right now. Yeah, well, on Monday, I'm dropping the rewatch. Uh, every Monday, we'll have my second look at the game, getting very uh, deep into uh, what I saw and what changed my mind or didn't uh, from each week. So uh, I will get into some of my thoughts from the game uh, in this episode, but uh, that'll just be you know a few minutes here and there, depending on on how long we spend on it. Where the rewatch is a full hour of me just di- deep diving into all of the uh, the big themes from the game. So that's uh, always a good thing to go check out on, on Patreon. All right, there you go. patreoncom slash of Troy. We can get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month. We got a bunch of stuff to get into. Let's start with the news. Clay Houghton had his weekly Sunday night conference call on Sunday night. Of course, yeah. Uh, we got some injury updates. Brett Nealon, USC starting center, went down in the game, had to be replaced by Justin Dietrich. And uh, Nealon has an ankle injury and will be evaluated later this week. Brandon Peely missed the game. He had finger surgery on Friday uh, and is a week-to-week situation for him. Uh, so that's not good news uh, long-term. We'll see what happens there. Uh, and then Chase McGrath, USC starting kicker for the last few seasons, 
Uh, he has tendonitis, and this is why Parker Lewis was able to be the starter. And ultimately, because Parker Lewis can't lose, he wins the game for USC with the game-winning PAT uh, with a buck 20 left in the game against ASU, a school that's like 10 minutes from his high school in Scottsdale. The stories just write themselves, don't they? Sometimes the, bit. the pieces just fit together so beautifully. Uh, we'll see if the, if the lineup fits together beautifully for USC coming up with the Arizona game. An ankle sprain for a lineman is not as big of a concern as an ankle sprain for uh, a skill position player. Uh, usually they're able to tape up a lineman and, and because they're not making a lot of lateral movements, because they're not having to cut, uh, it's not as big of a deal. But... Uh, it's hard to say without knowing the severity of that ankle sprain. If it's you know a high ankle sprain or something like that, uh, the, the, if it's a severe ankle sprain, it, these kinds of things could definitely take Nealon out longer. But I think there's a, a a chance that we see him against Arizona. Uh, the the real question I have is with, is with Peely because he has a broken finger. He broke his middle finger and had to have surgery to put in the pins and stuff and plates and everything you do when you have a broken finger. On Friday, and so he wasn't able to play on Saturday. Wait, wait, which which finger did he? Did he? It was the, this the one, middle, right? that that middle finger, yes, yeah, that okay. that exact one, yes. Okay. Um, the the weird thing is, Clay Holmes saying he's sort of week to week. I don't want to compare one player to another. All people are different. All people recover from things differently. Injuries are are unique, and so I I, I don't I don't know, but. When USC is a school that has had a wide receiver break bones in his hand and come back four or five days later to play the wide receiver position, um, I find it hard to process the idea that Brandon Peely wouldn't be available to play defensive tackle for USC or nose tackle come Sunday, a, a week, eight days after his surgery on his on his finger. We've seen Leonard Williams play with the club, too. I mean, yeah. you put a club on it and you go. So... If that is not what happens, then I have to. I then it will make me suspect that this is something more than just you know a broken finger, or that maybe Peely has. Uh, ha, he obviously has the option to just sort of sit out and bide his time and, and get his next year of eligibility down the line. But I, I think that if you're Brandon Peely, uh, not not to speak for him in in this situation, but I don't think that there's it's a bad idea when you break your finger on the eve of the season. Uh, a season that's only going to have uh, potentially five or six more games. We don't know exactly how the season's going to end at this point, right? Um, I don't think it's the it's the uh, it, it's crazy to slow things down and potentially take that up out at this point. The thing the thing Just is saying. that either way, like, it, it's it's a broken finger, which seems crazy to be like season ending or whatnot. But in a situation like this, when the season's so short, like. Literally anything can be season any at this point. Right, but either way, he's going to have an extra year of eligibility to work with. And I, and I don't think taking a red shirt necessarily gives him any more eligibility beyond that. Like, I don't know. I, we, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. But um, USC could definitely use him just some extra depth there on the defensive line. But, you know, the performance of Marlon Tupelotu in that game really didn't really notice Peely all that much. Wait, you're talking about Marlon Tupelotu? Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week, Marlon Tuipolotu? Yeah, Defensive Lineman of the of the Week for the Pac-12. Yeah. He was voted, uh, they announced that on Monday, very, very well deserved. He was an absolute monster in that game. 
Uh, he had he was second on the team in tackles. He had two tackles for loss. He had a sack, and he was just setting the tone uh, in in the middle of the field for USC in, in the middle of the trenches. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about USC's run defense and and what it means, but I, I think that uh, Marlon Tupelotu had an outstanding first game uh, that really showed that he can be the star guy on that on that line, even with it without J. Tufele there. Yeah, I, I thought that, you know, we had talked about it last week. I think Marlon Tupelotu has been just as good as J. Tufele. Very under, very under, unheralded and underrated. Yeah, and, and we wondered, is it possibly, the, the, was he more productive because J. Tufele drew double teams, or was he more productive or just as productive as J. Tufele because he's just as good as J. Tufele and maybe doesn't have the, the name recognition? Like, what is it? I don't know, but I know that Marlon Tupelotu was really damn good for SC uh, in that game. Uh, I thought when SC did make tackles, especially at the line of scrimmage or be or behind it, uh, there was a lot of gang tackling, a lot of players in the, in that area swarming. But it seemed like Marlon Tupelotu was always part of that swarm, no matter where it was, uh, which is exactly what you want to see by your fourth year defensive lineman, someone who. You got as a big recruit and someone who is going to be a big focal point in this defense going forward if he continues to play like that. Yeah, well, what I was most con- most encouraged by is that so much of Marlon Tupelotu over the last few years has been flying under the radar, doing his job quietly. And what we saw on Saturday was him doing his job loudly. Um, he, he's a quiet person. He doesn't do, do a lot of talking, but he sort of let his play do the talking there. And it was really nice to see him put together his sort of no-nonsense approach, getting his job done while also adding some sort of explosive impact playmaking uh, that USC is going to need there without Jay Tufele there to do it as well. So uh, big, big, big ups for Marlon Tupelotu, and I'm excited to see what he can do for the rest of the season because that was a really, really promising start. Yes, it was. Uh, what wasn't a promising start for USC was the 28-27 to win uh, and how it affect, affected SC in the polls, which was... Uh, a no-go. A pretty big dud. A little bit. Uh, USC moves zero places in the AP in the coaches' poll, ranked 20th and 20th in both of them. And the S&P Plus, they dropped uh, from 15th down to 24th. Uh, Bill Connolly from ESPN wrote about USC, quote, I'm almost more concerned about USC now than I would have been had the Trojans' defense simply produced a discombobulated performance across the board. You can blame that on rust or new coaching or the new early kickoff time, 9 a.m. local, but instead, after a year in which USC's D ranked 28th in pass SP+, but 82nd in rushing SP+, we're looking at a defense that is still good against the pass and still bad against the run. We don't know if any of last year's issues have been rectified. Yeah, and, and it was interesting seeing Connolly's assessment of, of USC there because they did give a lot of give up a lot of run yardage. I don't think that that run yardage was a reflection of the defensive linemen. I don't think the front three were the problem. I am very uh, certain in in my assessment that the linebackers are a big problem there, and I think some of the uh, you know some of the the nickel play, some of the safety play uh, in this game in run support was just not where it needed to be, and it's why ASU was able to rip off some really big runs and have so many QB, QB scrambles. So something that USC needs to to work on, but I will say it's it's slightly concerning that 
new defensive coordinator, literally the same problems on defense this yeah. year. You you can't say it's the interior. It really was not the interior of that line. I thought Tui Pelotu played well, as we talked about. But it, it seemed to me every time ASU ran up the middle, they weren't really getting much. Yeah, and I thought Nick Figueroa held his ground. I yeah. thought he had a good game. Caleb Tremblay held his ground. I thought he, he he didn't have as good of a game as the other two, but he 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 did his he did his job. I don't think any of those three, from what I could assess, were deficient in any way. So I have to look at what the other pieces of that defensive uh, puzzle were or weren't doing. And to me, you know, you they always talk about this three-man front where you just need you have guys eating space and then and then the linebackers having to come up and make plays and we just didn't see the linebackers come up and make plays. So that's still a concern, but uh it's a reality that USC is going to have to to sort of prove for themselves that that something can change there. Yeah, your your rankings or your your grades on uh, com. you had a B for the defensive line, but a C for the linebackers. And and ge- and genuinely, the C I think is being very generous to the linebackers because I'm giving them Drake Jackson's performance. And I thought that Jake, Drake Jackson, even though he was a little bit more quiet than people might have expected, did quite well in that new outside linebacker role uh, for his job, his piece of the puzzle. I thought was fine. Yeah. Uh- in his uh, press conference on Sunday, Clay Helton really credited Drake Jackson for what he did on that final drive uh, in pressuring Jaden Daniels. And he said this is something that you won't find in the stat book, but he was a big part of it. Uh, and, and it's true. I, I think that Drake Jackson did do a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily find find itself in, in the stat book. But at some point, you think that, that it will. And it's going to be interesting to see what this defense does going forward when they play someone like Grant Cannell of Arizona, someone who's not going to run that much. I think Grant Cannell is going to pick his spots and move around the pocket. Maybe but, run like Keaton Slovis runs. Where, sure, but you know, he, a last resort. he's not going to run like Jaden Daniels. No, where Jaden uh, Daniels, no. he looks up and if, the, if there's an opening in front of him, he's taken off. Right, so quite the change of pace for USC this week in Tucson. They tussle in Tucson going up against... Grant Cannell and the Arizona Wildcats, which leads us to uh, the new kickoff times. Uh, SC in Arizona this Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on Big Fox. Once again, it's going to be Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. That game Saturday, November 14th, this upcoming Saturday, 12.30, 1.30 for those of you in Tucson going to game, which will, of course, be none of you because there will be no fans. Uh, but next week, we've got a time, finally, for USC and Utah. Once again, a night game. I don't think SC's ever played a day game uh, at Rice-Eccles, and it's going to be another night game. 7.30 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. That's 8.30 local time in Salt Lake City uh, on November 21st, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. But, Alicia, things are getting a little murky about uh, that game going down. Yeah, the the state of Utah is not having a great time of it, uh, as far as uh, as as far as COVID nineteen is concerned. So the the governor of Utah issued a state of emergency just uh, just Monday, and so they have a, a couple weeks. I think that this the state of emergency is going to apply to, which will be in the window that USC is planning to go to Utah to play this game. They have a mask mandate. They're prohibiting social gatherings with people outside your household for two weeks. 
And then sports and after-school activities are canceled for two weeks, except for championship games. They're also expanding COVID testing. So they're trying to t- to take measures here to nip that in the bud. But uh, hmm, hmm. I wonder how much of this will apply to USC. I, I mean... Well, can, can I just jump in here? Yes. <laughs> There's an article on Salt Lake Tribune that says, what does this all mean? And it's a great read. You should go look it up. Uh, and it talks through what all the mandates are about. And it talks about the mask mandate. Uh, yes, you have to wear a mask if you're going out in public, blah, 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 stuff that we know here in California. But interestingly enough, you do not have to wear the mask at church. Uh, okay, so... so <laughs> what is the point of the mask mandate if you're, you're, you can still go to church with people who are outside of your household and you can still... You know, not where I'm like, I mean, outside of like Thanksgiving gatherings, the number one place that I can imagine people are gathering with strangers at this point in time is churches. So, like, that's where you need these measures to be be on top of things. And and I don't want to go on a soapbox about this because it's not just that. But the championship high school games, they're going to go on uh, as always. uh, And per the Salt Lake Tribune here. Utah's high school football playoffs will soldier on. College football is also moving forward. Three home games are set during the run of the emergency order. Fresno State will play Utah State and Logan on Saturday. And on November 21st, BYU will host North Alabama. A real exciting game, BYU and North Alabama. Oh, yeah. Put that one on your schedule. Talk about a resume booster for the playoff. (laughs) Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah, that's it right there. And then Utah hosting... SC on November 21st at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City is still scheduled as a go. So, again, it it seems like a a kind of a half-assed mandate of sorts to me. We were just watching a video on YouTube about Breaking Bad, and one of the things that was mentioned was the idea of half measures and how they don't work. Well, in my opinion, what the state of Utah is doing here feels like a half measure, and... uh, Full measures are required one way or the other. Um, that's my opinion on these is if we're going to go all in on on anything, just go all in one way or the other. Um, so half measures are are exactly that. But the the more interesting thing, the more pressing thing, I think, because it's clear that this isn't Berkeley. This isn't where like they will go out of their way to prevent the football games from happening. Like Utah's going to going to work with the, the, the local officials to make it happen. The bigger question is what the state of, of Utah's team is going to be. Uh, Kyle Whittingham was was in front of the media on Monday, and he was sort of talking about how they are preparing to start walk-ons, and they are down several, you know, ways down the depth chart in in many positions for for Utah. They're scheduled to play UCLA this this Saturday, which is a game that was moved from Friday because they're trying to buy some time here to get Utah up up into a position where they can actually play a game. But that squad looks like it's uh, it's going through some some trouble and even if they do play against UCLA this weekend which would be their first game of, of the season by the time USC comes there we still won't know exactly what shape they're going to be in they haven't really been able to have you know full order practices this whole time so that changes the tenor of of the matchup considerably uh, looking looking ahead to to what was supposed to be a really pivotal Pac-12 South game and yeah it's it's hard to look at it that way now. Yeah, I mean they still probably beat UCLA by three touchdowns well, on Saturday if they play them. But, I mean the jo- the jokes write themselves about uh, UCLA losing to Carl Durrell's Colorado 
and then turning around and losing to Utah's uh, walk-ons, I certainly would enjoy that. But uh, <laughs> they have to get through that game first. Yeah, we'll see what happens on Saturday for the Utes before they get SC next Saturday. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and see how over-under panned out for us and for you guys at home. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get into this week's over-under. I am so pumped to talk about this because this is the first time we've played over-under with a huge group. We've played it with our friends over in the Rock Crew. Dave from Orange County has done an awesome job putting together a makeshift Google Sheets uh, chart that he's tracked everything the last couple of years, and it's been awesome to see him do that, and I've loved every bit of it. And now we are able to take that another step uh, and incorporate as many people as as are willing to participate. Uh, And it was super fun. Uh, we put up a, a Google form. You guys that that entered were able to uh, to do so. Put in your picks on the over-under and play along with us. We had seven over-unders, uh, and now we can do things like talk about these with uh, with some audience participation involved. Yeah, well, like we know how many people agreed with the over-pick or the under-pick or yeah. how many people won that and... and- uh, you know, I may be low down on the percentage of people who Sp- had. Don't just mm-hmm. just don't don't tell people yet. Okay, I won't spoil it. Don't but, spoil uh, don't don't spoil my performance just yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's into it. He's into it. Right. Uh, first one uh, over or under three and a half carries for Marquis Step. This is the line that you set. Uh, you know our new format that we talked about last week. This comes from a Rotbot Jake who emailed us last year about if we're going to set a line, one person sets the line, the other person makes the bet or makes the pick uh, for entertainment purposes only, of course. And then uh, you are the house, so you get to respond with the opposite of whatever I picked, right? So uh, you set the line at three and a half carries for Marquis Step. I took the over, which gives you the under 70.4%. Of Rotbots took the over. It was over. It was way over at 14. 14 carries for Marquis Step on Saturday against ASU. See, and here I was thinking USC was going to ease in the guy who's dealing with turf toe. Uh, I heard turf toe and my mind went to guys not playing football. So, nope. Welp. <laughs> 14 carries and 53 yards. Yeah. Welp. Not good. Oops. He did have a big TD, too. He did. He did have a nice flying TD. It was very. I love that kind of score. He also had a costly fumble. A little bit of a costly fumble, but still, fourteen carries. That's a lot of trust from Graham Harrell, Mike Jinks, Clay Helton, and uh, Marquis Step uh, doing it for the Rotbots to give him that over. Yeah, and and he ran the ball well when he had opportunities. He ran into the same problems that a lot of USC's other running backs ran into, where when the offensive line doesn't block for you, you have a little bit of trouble. Uh, even even a powerful guy like Marquis Step, but still, it's very encouraging that they were willing to give him that many touches. Uh, bodes well for the rest of the season. Certainly, that his body is where it is, and also that the the trust level is where it is. Yes, indeed. Let's go to the second one. Over or under, I set the line at fifty nine point nine. Over or under of a completion percentage for Jaden Daniels. 
You took the over, which locks me into the under. 59.3% of listeners took the under, which would have qualified as an under in the over-under because it was 59.9. The, the, the poetry there is great uh, because it was under at 47.8%. Jaden Daniels did not throw the ball well at all on Saturday. Uh, his biggest uh, biggest completion of the game was that 55-yard screen pass uh, that he threw all of, uh, what, a yard downfield, if that? If that, yeah. So here's my problem. I got into, I fell into the trap of NCAA football, which is to say that every year that you play, you get a little bit better in all of your sort of stats. So I was figuring, well, Jaden Daniels struggled with his completion percentages last year, but he would take a little bit of a step forward because that's what you do. And he would end up with, you know, in the low 60s, but uh, but still above the, the 59.9. Clearly, that was wrong. And here's where I want to give a shout out to USC's pass rush uh, because I thought that Drake Jackson was in his face a lot. I thought that the defensive linemen, Marlon Tupelotu, uh, Nick Figueroa especially, were getting in his face. And uh, and then the other thing is Todd Orlando sent a lot of blitzes and Jaden Daniels wanted nothing to do with them. And so he was getting the ball out quick or taking off running and when he got the ball out quick, he didn't normally find a receiver. And when he took off running, he usually had a lot more success. Yeah, as good of a game as he had on the ground, which was fantastic, um, taking his time and waiting for SC to part the seas on third and long so he could scamper for 31 yards or what have you, um, he really struggled in the passing game. I mean, uh, Ronald Darby went down early on. Uh, Frank Darby, sorry, <laughs> went, went down early on for the Sun Devils at wide receiver. And that was definitely a big blow for ASU's passing game. But it shouldn't have just been that because outside of, of Darby going down, it looked like ASU had no one to throw to. Uh, well, and you th- had- That last drive, I thought that he was very panicky with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he could have calmed down a little bit more and trying to look for spots to run because they had a ton of time, two timeouts. You know, the clock stops on first downs. Uh, but, you know, Carolina kept bringing the heat, and Jaden Daniels kept thro- forcing uh, passes on that last drive, and they were incomplete. Well, and then also credit to USC's DBs. IPM had a couple of pass breakups. Uh, Chris Steele had a, a pass breakup. Elijah Griffin had a couple, too. So they were getting in the way of some of the passes that were sent out there, but it was sort of a, a, a united performance there to, to prevent the, the passing attack from ASU from getting the better of them. And so, like Bill Connolly said, USC's okay against the pass. Yeah, which could bode well this week against ASU. I mean, uh, U of A. Yes. Sorry, U Arizona. Their, U, their new name. U Arizona? U Arizona, yeah. I just call them Zona. There you go. Uh, Grant Gannell, uh, a big arm cannon guy. Cannon arm guy? Arm cannon? Sure. Uh, next one. Uh, you set the line over under nine and a half tackles for Talanoa Hufanga. I took the over, which locks you into the under. It was over, uh, along with uh, 68.5% of people agreeing with you. They were all wrong. Talanoa Hufanga had 10 tackles, which qualified for that over. Just barely. I, I think just, he had eight tackles in the first half. I'd like to say that if I were an odds maker in Vegas, setting an actual line... 
I would have felt pretty good about about hitting on that 9.5 with 10 because that, that's the idea, right? The odds makers want to get as close to the actual as possible. So, you know, I think I did a, an OK job there, even if I took the L. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so, indeed. Probably the best line in terms of getting it close to the pin. Uh, let's go to the next one. I said over under seven and a half penalties for USC. They had averaged 6.9 last season. You took the over, which locks me into the under. 59.3% of Rotbots took the over. It was under. SC only had five. Uh, It's like it's reverse psychology with USC. Like, I take the over, and so they go ahead and and, and only put up five. Um, Of those five, four of them were pass interference. One of them being on Eric Cromenhoek. Which yeah, was, was essentially a pick play. Yeah, yeah, OPI, it was OPI and then Chris, and, and I'm including a, a Chris Steele holding as a pass. Yeah, Chris, well, Chris Steele had the PI, and then Chris Steele had the hold all on the same drive. And there was and, a false start. And then there was a false start. Yeah, so, uh, you know, oh, and then and then the fifth would have been uh, Parker Lewis's uh, kick out of bounds. Yeah, which I don't think technically counts as a penalty. It's not a penalty. I don't think it technically oh, counts. All right. No. Well, then, all right. No, because it was it was OPI OPI holding. Sorry, DPI, DPI, holding, no, there OPI, was a- and false start. That's five. So the sixth one would have been the kick out of bounds. It does not count. What was the, the other? Who had the other uh, penalty? Who had the other? Uh, OG. Oh, OG got one too. Oh, I didn't totally miss yeah. that. OG Oops. and Chris Steele each had PIs. All right. Crum and Hoke had an OPI. Steele had a hold. And then there was the false and start the false okay. on uh, McKenzie. Well, you five. know, uh, in a game where USC had what amounted to six turnovers... <laughs> they had more turnovers than uh, than penalties. That's something. Six turn. They only have. Four. Oh, you're, you're including the turnover and downs. Yeah, Which I mean, is, they, yeah, they, okay. they, they are <laughs> in a way. Uh, no, I, I, I got you. Yeah. Uh, my uh, next one. Um, sorry, this is yours. You said 399.5 passing yards for Keaton Slovis. I was bullish on this, and I took the over. You took the under because you were locked into it because I said the over. But 64.8% of Rotbots took the under. That's a bunch of smart Rotbots. It was the under. 381. Keaton Slovis sure made a run at this in the second half. He only had, I think it was uh, 150-something in the first half. Uh, But he sure made a hell of a run at it, particularly on those last two drives. Yeah, he came up up late, made it a little bit nervous. But, uh, you know, you can have a, a pretty okay game and still... Put up 381 yards, you know? That's not even a great Keaton Slovis performance. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, dude can deal. Isn't that a, a perfect way to sum up this offense for USC? Because I thought they had a pretty okay game. Just all right, okay, frustrating because of the six turnovers, if you include the turnover on downs, right? Six frustrating times that SC's drives did not end the way you wanted them to, right? Yeah. And yet you can sit here and look at, but yet despite all of that, despite those mega colossal mistakes, despite having four drives that that finished at the ASU 25 or better, and they got zero points on, they still had 381 passing yards, 200 yards on the ground, the most yards of total offense of any team in the Pac-12 all week, and they held ASU to the fewest of any Pac-12 team all week. 
weird, right? It's it's it was very like a USC. Weird, like if you look at the if you looked at the stats, you'd think that SC won this game by four touchdowns. But if you like, and I know it's it's reductionist to say, well, if it wasn't for the turnovers, but. But really, if it wasn't for the turnovers, SC wins this game going away. And then we're talking about, well, this was a blah win for SC, but they won it, and that that's okay at 9 a.m., right? Like, the narrative completely changes. Yes, Whereas we're sitting here now saying the 9 a.m. stuff doesn't really matter because we saw the same struggles from this team as we saw last year. And while it certainly could just be the 9 a.m. jitters and the week one jitters, they have no benefit of the doubt to say that that's what it was for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the trend. You are what your what your trends say you are, and and unfortunately, USC doesn't get to say this was a one off. It's it hasn't certainly didn't feel like a one off. No, especially when we get to the next over under, which was me setting the line at three point six yards per carry for ASU. They had only averaged three point four eight yards per carry last year as a team throughout the entire season. This, of course, includes sack yardage. And what happened? You took the under. I took the over. Uh, the picks were split 50-50, and it was over and way over at 6.8 yards per carry for ASU. Okay. And, and it wasn't just Jaden Daniels. The, like, the running backs got theirs as the game went on, too. Yeah, so, but Jaden Daniels is a big part of it. Certainly. He, and, he uh, 111 yards, but trained him with 84. White was 76. I realized where I went wrong in taking this under. Last year, when ASU averaged 2.24 yards per carry, Jaden Daniels didn't play. I think it was Joey Yedlin who played, and he's not a particularly mobile. I'm mean, not that he's not he's he's not a statue, but Joey Yellen, Yellen, whatever. Uh, Yed, Yedlin is a former U.S. Uh, U.S. national team. Yeah, from former <laughs> soccer uh, player, Tottenham Hotspur star. Yeah, yeah. Um, either, either way, uh, I, I didn't account for the quarterback scrambling for 124 yards. So there is that. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I didn't think the defensive line was at the heart of that. I just thought that Jaden Daniels took off when, when he had the opportunity. And I thought that USC gave up too many big running plays, which is what they've done consistently over the last few years. So. Yeah, I I like the aggression, but I thought SC was too aggressive that they got vulnerable, vulnerable. I really can't speak anymore. Yeah, it happens. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame uh, the 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 COVID off season that you've lost the the, yeah. the ability to speak. I don't think that's one of the. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it anyways. Um, but yeah, SC was too vulnerable on defense because they were so aggressive, and this is really what the crux of the matter is, right? Uh, we saw it with Clancy Pendergast for a long time, and then SC wasn't nearly as good under Pendergast with the same thing. But we we saw it especially this past Saturday where that aggression, when it works, it's like, man, this defense is right on it. They're swarming. They're all over them. And then when it doesn't work, when you get a step behind them, suddenly you're giving up 31 yards on a third and 13. Yeah. And that's when you just get burnt to a crisp yeah so here's a, a question that just popped into my head but by, by the way this this defense this is what i do on madden <laughs> this is my man not my man that's defense. my mind on defense as well very much so I'll, you know blitz 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 and then get burned um so here's the question i have and you know we talked to uh, adam mcclintock and a couple of of, of uh, stats guys 
when USC hired Todd Orlando, and they were they were pretty positive about the hire. They thought it would be the right uh, philosophy for USC to pair with the air raid with the air raid offense. But did USC maybe make a mistake here going with a DC that is so similar in co- concepts to Clancy Pendergast? They don't run exactly the same scheme, but it's a very similar idea where you're going to be aggressive and that's going to be how you're going to going to keep the other defense keep the other offense sort of off well, kilter but maybe but, would we know a little bit more but, about but did did we really think that Clancy Pendergast was as aggressive the last say year or two SC over pursued on misdirection all the time absolutely but but what we really said that they were aggressive because especially last year I thought the, the linebackers were exceedingly passive. Hmm. Yeah. I and, mean, and so like w- what we knew of is Clancy Pendergast being aggressive early on. This last stint at SC, I think that that waned as the years went on. Um. And and the other thing I would mention here is we talked about it all off season. The defense, you know, even if the defense gets a fraction of the bit of a bit better, 1% better, that this team would be worlds better because you expect the offense to get that much better, right? Yeah. Well, again, the, the problem wasn't giving up 27 points. Right. And, and, and so this defense ended up putting in a performance that you surely would have seen from last year's team. And I, I, I don't want to be that one guy and excuse the, the defense because I'm not excusing this defense, but I will say it was one game... Uh, and and to Todd Orlando's credit here, he didn't get a spring, uh, he didn't get a summer even to do summer workouts. Like, um, and and those would have obviously been player run, but like this, he, he didn't get a, as much time as ASU got to to put in their new defense. So I, you want to know something incredible? I, I think we can sit here and say that the Todd Orlando hire was not, is not as inspiring right now as it was a week ago, if not. Six months ago, but again, it, it was it was one game in which, in an off season, in which he didn't have enough time to install it. Let's just give him a little bit more time. Oh yeah, like, no, am I, am I'm, I, not, I'm crazy? not. No, I think you're right to say we should give him a little bit more time. That's absolutely the case. Like the offense, if we want to be more critical of the offense, uh, I'm, I'm I, all for it. Yes. Uh, the the crazy thing is USC had four turnovers and they only had seven points off of turnovers. ASU. So now a lot of those right. were in in the reds. I mean, on the wrong side of the field. So ASU still had to go down the field. But at the same time, you know, those those plays that ASU could have used as momentum builders didn't really pan out that way for them. So, but, but, but also know. SC uh, could have taken advantage of the Jack Jones muff punt. And they didn't well, they because should. that was that was when Vivai fumbled at the goal line, which. You could argue was should have been touchdown anyways, but he shouldn't be reaching out that way right. and putting himself at risk. So you know, again, it's a weird game. A lot of yeah. individual moments. Still the last over under. Uh, Dave from Orange County said forty two and a half punting yards uh, as an average for Ben Griffith. You took the over. I was a little more pessimistic and took the under. Fifty one point nine percent of Rotbots took the over. It was over. He was at fifty. Sorry, forty six percent. Uh, but he had a bomb in there, a 58-yarder. Yeah, he did. Uh, that was my boy Ben Griffiths coming through for me to give me a much, much needed point this week. <laughs> Sorry, a 50-yarder. 50-yarder. Yeah, he had a 50-yarder. He had a 50-yarder, and then they, they announced it in the press box as like a 
eight yard on the roller, but I guess yeah, but, it didn't... but on the the stats it says fifty. Yeah, and he had two of fifty. Yeah, so I just I but so I don't. Did he have a fifty, a fifty, and a thirty-eight then? Yes, it had to have been a fifty and fifty. But like I know that the one that rolled was initially given more yardage, but I don't know how they determine that kind of th- the you know the exact but yardage. The, the if you punt from the one yard line it lands at the 50 and rolls all the way to the one and it's, it's a, a 99 yard punt. yeah yeah that's what i thought so i don't know maybe somebody miscalculated where he punted from i don't know i'm, I'm looking at the thing yeah 38 50 and 50 according to the play-by-play sheet either way uh it qualifies as an over so if you got the over and we're one of the 51.9 percent of robots took the over congratulations there uh all told for the week Alicia, what was your score? How, how many did of the seven did you get right? I got two. Two. Yeah, I got two. I got five. Yeah. Five. I feel yeah. good about that. Gives me a three-game lead on you early on. Insurmountable. It's, I think I'm just going to ride one. this thing into the It's into the week sunset. one, and every week is all or nothing, essentially, with yeah. with every over-under. No, so I, I'm winning this thing, ne- Next week, I'm I just got to flip it one one time. Yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm it's, taking it's this co- thing. It's coming at you. I'm taking it home. I'm taking it home. Uh, who else will be taking it home uh, will be Maria in Seattle and Yoni, who each got six out That's of seven. Some good picking over there. Yeah, we had a bunch of people participate. Only two had uh, had better scores than me. Maria and Yoni was six. <laughs> yeah, you can you can phrase it that way, I suppose. Yeah, over under is hard. Well, it'll just be real. It well, is. It, it is, is yeah. absolutely a crapshoot, and so are score predictions. Uh, remember, Bill Connolly said thirty-three to twenty-two. SC would win. Uh, Vegas had the line by eleven. You said thirty-nine twenty-six. I said thirty-five twenty, and it was twenty-eight. 17. We were all wrong. ASU covered. ASC did not. SC is 0-1 against the spread on the new year. Shocker. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That's what uh, we're I for mean, uh, believing in a USC team in week one. <laughs> Shame I, on us. As I said on the car cast, uh, you know, I expected 27 point, 26 points. I thought that the last touchdown of that would come late, but uh, clearly I was wrong on that, but... USC's offense didn't score 30, so that's a problem. Yes, that's what happens when you have those six turnovers, including turnovers on downs. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's get to the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, let's start with a voicemail we got from Cameron in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Raina Troy, Cameron from Frisco, Texas. Well... Nothing really changed with this whole new coaching staff. You know, we got a typical, you know, healthy special where sloppy first game and somehow we found a way to win. I don't know if I should feel happy or should be mad about this team, but you know what? I just feel medium. So here's my couple of questions I want to ask you. Who do you think is the offensive MVP for that game and defensive MVP? My opinion is offensive MVP would probably be co-MVP between Brew McCoy and Drake London. And on the defensive side of the ball, I'd probably say Marlon Tutoloto. What were your thoughts on that? And then also, second of all, as Michael Castillo famously said, what football reason makes me believe that USC should have won this game, if there are any football reasons? Because in my opinion, there weren't any football reasons that USC should have won this game. One bit. Because they played horrible. Lack of discipline, lack of toughness, poor tackling turnovers. 
fourth down conversions, just, oh, my gosh, just the same old, same old stuff. Just, you know, what what football reasons? Honestly, were there any football reasons, Michael Castillo? Because I want to hear your thoughts as the expert of the football reasons. You know, thank you. Fight out, fight on, and beat the Wildcats. Thanks for the call, as always, Cameron. Uh, football reasons. Whew. Uh, let's get into those. I, I mean, straight up, there were no football reasons USC should have won this game. You have four turnovers and two turnovers on down. You should not win a game. It's just that simple. Uh, in general, 99% yes. Completely agree. Uh, absolutely. You don't win a game in which you turn over the ball that many times and that you throw away points inside the red zone. You don't win games when you do that. Um, that said, um, for the sake of argument, uh, because Cameron asked me to do it, uh, what were the football reasons that SC should have won this game? I, again, I go back to SC ran 95 plays and gained 556 yards of total offense. You know, SC got the ball inside the 10 and uh, fumbled and and didn't have a uh, didn't convert on fourth down, but they got the ball there. SC was moving the ball on every single drive. As much as we can sit here and say USC's offense was was abysmal, because for a lot of times it was, it was frustrating to watch. Uh, Keaton Slovis constantly had to go to checkdowns. They weren't able to get the vertical passing game going until the end of the game when they finally were able to get Amon Ra and Drake London a little bit uh, on the vertical passing game. But for the most part, uh, this game dinked, this team dinked and dunked their way down the field. Uh, and they were still able to move the ball. Uh, and if Avai Malapai gets ruled in for a touchdown, uh, that's one less drive that they didn't screw up at the end on. Uh, if they don't go for it on fourth down and get the points, uh, that's another fourth down that they don't screw up, and they did, that's 10 points on the board right there with the Vavai, uh, you know, uh, touchdown potentially. That completely changes how we look at this game. The if Marquis Step doesn't fumble, USC is in field goal range too. So at the very least, they right. get another three points there. It, it, absolutely, they don't have to go for it on fourth down there. Yeah, right. And right there, those are two fourth downs that did not have to happen. And so the way I look at it, the reason that we say USC struggled on offense was because we look at the turnovers and we look at how they fared on fourth down. Uh, but like I said, those fourth down opportunities did not have to happen. Um, because they could have been averted for field goals. Um, the other thing is, to me, what what was more alarming than SC's turnovers and the fourth down performance, um, which was was how the passing game got completely stifled, especially vertically, and how they had to re- rely on checkdowns. That to me is the more alarming thing than anything else. Turnovers and you know not converting on fourth downs, those are frustrating. Those are the obvious things. But those weren't the things that were happening on every single drive. Uh, those are just the things that you're going to remember forever. So the way I look at it, SC was still able to get yards dinking and dunking, even when they weren't at their best. And I think that if there's any saving grace for SC, they played this poorly in the sense that we can sit here and say that this felt like a loss for SC, and it certainly should have been. They pulled this out with two fourth down conversions that ended up as touchdowns, including a tip drill touchdown on a free play, uh, and they recovered an onside kick. That's what they needed to win this game. Uh, that's what they needed to avoid a, a defeat. So I under it, obviously it should feel like a loss in so many different ways, but even despite all that, they gained again 
556 yards. And empty calorie yards or not, they gained all those yards and they held ASU to the fewest number of yards of any team in the Pac-12 all weekend. If you can do that on your bad day, what are you going to do on a good day? And so that that's I think is would be the takeaway for the football reasons here, is that even a bad USC was able to be very productive on a day that they had six drives end ridiculously. So yeah, you should not win a game in which you turn over the ball four times. You shouldn't win a game in which you throw away points inside the ten yard line. You shouldn't win a game for any of those things. But they were still uh, pr- productive on a on a on a play by play basis, uh, and if anything, that's something to feel good about, even when you're not feeling good about things. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact still remains. Uh, again, this, this when, is me arguing a point for Cameron. Yeah. FYI. Yeah, but even when USC is bad, they're they're not like they're 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 not extremely bad like they're not as bad as this is the thing that i I think that uh is frustrating about this team the reason that we say that sc is awful is because what we are expecting of them right we we expect this team we we want this team to to play up to their potential and, and and we expect them to be a a conference power we expect them to be uh a team vying for the conference title uh, and potentially a shot at the playoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah, and and they weren't. They do not look like a playoff team with that performance. And so because of that, they look like an absolute failure. But are they a failure in an objective way? And in, in if you strip away out all of those expectations, no, because again, they gained 556 yards and held ASU to the fewest of any team in the Pac-12 all weekend, right? So, th- th- this wasn't a failure in a completely, you know, in a vacuum sense. It was a failure because of USC's expectations, because of the talent on this team, because it feels like they're underachieving, because we've seen these mistakes before, and because again, six different drives ended in ways that they did not have to. They, they I, I said this on Saturday, and I'll say it again. SC won a game they had no business winning, but it was also a game they had no business losing. SC should have won this game going away if they just finish off those drives. They finished off half those drives. Yeah, well, and that's, that's why USC continues to be extremely frustrating because you can say all of those things and still no one felt good about that performance. Right. Uh, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, offensive MVPs, uh, both sides of the ball, Cameron, I, I think, nailed it. Uh, Drake London, Brew McCoy, Marlon Tupelotu, those are the three guys. Yeah, for me, it's Drake London and, and Marlon Tupelotu. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to a call from Bode. Hey, great win yesterday. This is Bode from the DMV. It looked like Kevin Flores, his, his, uh, his arm, is, it looks like it's weaker. I see a lot of the out routes from the far hat. It barely got through. Um, do you guys think that he needs to do a little bit more conditioning to get his arm stronger? Right on. Thanks for the call, Boday. Uh, yeah, that it was it was strange. It was not what I expected to see Keaton's arm uh, come out and, and be a little bit flat. Uh, he was still able to get the job done, obviously, but the spirals weren't tight. There wasn't a lot of zip in his passes. Uh, they it sort of got him into trouble with a couple. Well, the almost interception that ended up 
in Drake London's hand and then the actual interception. Uh, there were a few little dink and dunk passes that I thought could have ended up with better plays overall if if the ball had gotten out to the receiver faster and they'd had a chance to get the ball and turn up field. So I think Keaton's arm looked wrong. Uh, I don't know how much of that is they are coming off of a very extensive camp uh, where maybe they overworked it a little bit in 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 the in those last uh, 6 weeks that's always a possibility uh maybe it was also just one of those days where he maybe he doesn't wake up early in the morning very often maybe he's a guy who sleeps in i don't know it could it could be a lot I of different things i don't things. think so i think this team is waking up early to practice and do all those things but well but, i mean but, yeah it could be 9am jitters um it, it could be camp fatigue i think the worrisome thing and the thing that you really hope it is not you hope it is not a situation where this is a lingering uh, issue from the Iowa injury. Yeah, well, the, he the had yeah he had that elbow uh, problem that took him out of the Iowa game, and and I think they opted not to do surgery or anything like that. And so, I mean, if it's that though, that's that's a big concern. Yeah, there there was a lack of velocity. There were a few more ducks. He wasn't throwing quite as lively of a ball um, that you would have seen last year. Hopefully that that um, doesn't look to be the case going forward, but it certainly was the case on Saturday. So it's something to keep a huge eye on because if SC is going to go far this season, it's going to be on the arm uh, of Keaton Slovis. He's, he's your best player. He needs to be your best player. There's a reason that people are talking about him as the number one pick in next year's NFL draft or two years from now, the NFL draft, right? Because he's that good uh, and has the ability to be that good. We need to uh, see it um, on a consistent basis. Uh, and that includes his lively arm, uh, which you hope um, can prove to be so. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Tim. All I can think of about that game once the shock of a successful onside kick wore off was that the go-ahead touchdowns seemed a lot like the end of the second Mighty Ducks. The ball was hidden from view the entire time after the ref single touchdown and the camera angle changed just enough for us all to yell, did he catch it a few times? That was some good writing for this episode of 2020. Has anything gone our way like that since the Rose Bowl comeback? And who can we call to get rid of the piped in crowd noise? Man, it was right in the uncanny valley. I get that it was supposed to make the game feel more normal to the viewers, but I found it incredibly distracting. If there aren't going to be crowds, let's not pretend otherwise. I'd much rather hear what the mics picked up from what's going on in the field. Maybe I'm just crotchety. That's definitely a possibility. I hope you guys and your jobs are doing okay now that the Pac-12 is back. Thanks for all the needed distractions during the longest offseason. Fight on, Tim in Los Angeles. Uh, thanks for the for the email, Tim. I, I don't know about... Uh, my, Mighty Ducks D2. I, I, I'm, spoiler alert, not a big Mighty Ducks uh, movie franchise guy. I, Michael. They're kind of bad. Okay, so there's a sequence, you take that back. There's a sequence at the, end of, at the end of Mighty Ducks 2 where. The jersey's ugly too. Where there's like a shootout um, situation and the camera, the, the trick is that you see the shot, but you don't see where the puck is until it drops out of the glove of the of the of the goalkeeper of the, of the goalie. So mm-hmm. it, it was very similar. I, I mean, I think it's a great example for Drake London because I too was sitting there 
thinking there's no way he caught the ball. I'm looking all around the end Especially zone. Especially since for- he didn't celebrate right away. Well, cause, and he stood there with the ball behind his thigh. Like, I'm looking for the ball in the end zone just to verify with my eyes that he didn't right. catch it. And then the ref signal touchdown, and I'm turning to the person next to me in the press conference going, wait, he caught that? No way. He caught it? It was it was it was one of those great great moments. Uh, it's a shame that there wasn't a a crowd in the stands to to enjoy it, but uh, it it was. I mean, the comparison to the Rose Bowl is apt because that was the biggest comeback that USC has has closed down uh, since since that Rose Bowl comeback. Yeah, and, and you know, this is one of those things too where I you know a lot of the Helton criticisms are that SC finds a way to win despite Clay Helton and whatnot. This is where I push back on a lot of that. I feel like SC does not win these games. These are the games SC absolutely does not find a way to win, right? And we, we've talked about it all decade, that um, when push came to shove, when SC needed a comeback, they did not do it, under, uh, especially under uh, Cody Kessler and under Matt Barkley. They never did it. When, when did they ever have a comeback under those guys? Never. Not not really. I mean, that's never. what that's what made Sam stand out. Exactly. So much the way that he did. When Sam was able to do it, it was remarkable. And Keaton Slovis has had a little bit of that factor, too. He's been really good in the fourth quarter. We saw him forced overtime at BYU. We saw him come back uh, at Colorado. We see him win this game. And those are the things that aren't, don't usually happen with USC over the last 10 years. Mind you, they won a game in the most ridiculous Hollywood way. And that's where... I look at Tim's email and think, yeah, that's where the the Mighty Ducks, uh, the Friday Night Lights, the insert ridiculous Hollywood ending of a, of a of a movie trope is absolutely true. That's the type of game SC won. They they won uh, on a game that nobody could have written a script to, uh, a tip drill fourth da- fourth and thirteen, uh, and then a fourth and nine after an onside kick. Yeah, but I think we focus on the offense, and I, and I don't think that we're giving the, the defense enough credit here. They go into the fourth quarter, and they hold ASU to a field goal. Then the last three ASU uh, drives are a punt after four plays, 19 yards, a fumble after two plays, and then a turnover on downs. Well, I think the—no, yeah, the fumble is is what sets USC up. Um, no, 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 sorry. The fumble is, the, uh, is considered the, the onside kick. But either way, the, uh, the the drives in the fourth quarter that ASU had when they had the ball, the defense got the job done when they needed it to. So, so what's the Michael Hutchings tackle for for this play? Is there one? The onside kick? Is the Michael Hutchings tackle the onside kick? I think it's got to be. The, no, because the onside the kick is the, is the Leon the McKay. Qu- is, yeah, the pick, pick. Is, okay. is, is the Leon McQuay. The Michael Hutchings tackle is maybe whatever tackle caused them to have to get the field goal. I just, I just don't remember it well enough. Or whatever caused the the punt. Was there was there like a sack in there? I'd have to go look at the uh, <laughs> the play by play to verify this. But 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 also the, either way, the, the final know. drive. Um, I I think that you, you credit Chris Steele for making a couple big uh, defensive plays in the final drive. You credit Drake Jackson for getting some pressure in there too, uh, because I thought for sure that SC had scored too quickly. That ASU was going to come right down and kick a field goal. Marlon Marlon Tupelotu on third and nine gets a two yard loss of Jaden Daniels. That's the uh, that 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 forces That's the Hutchings play. That forces ASU to punt and then USC scores on their the the next two subsequent drives. There we go. Marlon Tupelotu equals Michael Hutchings confirmed. Boom. Got it. All right. Email from Randy. 
Hey, Michael and Alicia, the team didn't look so hot for most of the game, but pulled it out in the end. I can't imagine from facing more adversity this season. ASU is a well-coached team that has had more practice than the rest of the conference. I think it's all up from there. Also, Marlon and OG look solid. Best wishes and stay safe, Randy. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the thing is is that if this team didn't have the baggage that they carry, it would be a win that you look at and say, man, they dug deep and look at all these positives that can be gleaned from it and look at all the, the positive performances and now you move on and you go on to face the rest of the season knowing that you're in the driver's seat. It's just that his team has baggage, so... Well, th- this is where, you know, in the car cast we talked about, like, and we put it on Twitter, this is a season that, that didn't ha- wasn't supposed to happen. It got canceled, and then suddenly it's back on. Um, th- It's a crazy end to a college football game that you never could have predicted. If you can't find joy in that, why are you a fan? Th- those are the kind of things that we were talking about, right? And... I, I got some reactions to that. I I, I got a tweet, uh, and we got a tweet to the Rod account, um, basically saying the same thing for multiple people. That the Clay Helton era has completely killed off any joy that they have uh, from USC football at all. And because of that, they can't even find joy in the good things. And I... I gotta say, like I, I, I understand that if multiple people feel that way, then then that's a that's a segment that exists, and 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 I and I get it, and I'm not gonna say that no one doesn't feel that way or whatever, but I find that very sad. I find it sad that people could get to that place. Well, it, it's sad, but also like I get it. I, I didn't enjoy this miraculous comeback nearly as much as I would have a few years ago. Like, sure. I think I think that uh, there's also the middle ground there where we can acknowledge that it's not as fun to watch a USC team do incredible things like they did right. because of the baggage that, that the team is carrying. We've you and I have talked off air that this team is not fun to cover right now mm-hmm. because no matter what we do, no matter what we say, everything comes back to. Um, well, it's it's Clay Helton. He should be fired. No matter no matter what happens on a game. Yeah. I when when the most fun things that that I loved to do was tweet during a game, and I thought that tweeting tweeting during a game was so fun because you were watching a game with everybody else, and you were interacting, and you're providing commentary, and you're trying to find new things about this team and, and all that stuff. And now it is very unfun that everything gets completely limited to, but Clay Helton's the 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 coach, so everything sucks. And whether or not that it's fair and whether or not those things are valid, it's that those things exist. And it's not that I'm disagreeing with those opinions. It's that it makes it unfun to have the same conversations every single week. And it makes it really hard to come up with new discussion points because any new discussion points you come up with get completely wiped away with because well it's still clay out and so it does not matter well you know and, what that's, I mean? and that's part of our philosophy is we're talking about all sorts of things we're talking about you know the linebackers we're talking about the offensive line we're talking about the quarterback and the wide receivers and all of these little micro discussions that we're having that we're not even factoring clay hilton in because why even bother like this is the the the, the universe in which we exist and so let's operate within it and it can be frustrating i think when there are a, a lot of people out there who are 
still rejecting the universe in which they live like this is the the reality of the situation and i gotta i mean i gotta hand it to them there are some people out there who have way more juice in them than i do to continue with the same narrative over and over and over again and uh part of me is is impressed by it but you know at the the same time you have to operate within the universe that, that you live and you know what gravity sucks i wish i could fly but I have to deal with gravity, so I put one foot in front of the other. Where that's where, where's that from? Um, well, I was listening to an episode of No Such Thing as a Fish and learning about a guy who spent his life's work, a scientist who spent his life trying to find a way to to overcome gravity because he hated it so much. <laughs> gravity sucks. I wish I could like. I love that phrase. Oh, I think I came up with that myself. I don't think I was Did quoting you? anyone. Yeah. Put that on a shirt. I'll buy it. <laughs> Gravity sucks. I wish I could fly. Yes. Also, <laughs> okay. because we've talked about this before, I wish that I could fly. I mean, there you go. So I want to do the wingsuit flying. It's tailor-made for you. Well, wingsuits yes. only work because gravity. You're you're defying gravity. You're falling with style in the words of, uh, right. of, of Toy Story. Sure. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from L.A. Fred. Overall thoughts on covering a 9 a.m. game or the differences, and should they make it a regular thing? Okay, what I will say about this, covering a 9 a.m. game, once you get over the whole having to wake up early in the morning thing, is beautiful. Because the game is done by by 1 o'clock, you have the whole afternoon to get all your work in, and then you get to go home and have dinner, and then chill, like, for the rest of the night. Like, it's it was very chill. I didn't... I wasn't sleep deprived really at any point. Now, you on the other hand had a different experience because I'm used to waking up uh, at you know seven o'clock every morning or so uh, because of uh, press conferences with uh, with USC stuff and all that kind of stuff. So like I was used to it. It was much di- more difficult for you who stays up, you know, <laughs> into into the odd hours of the night. I had to wake up at the time I'm usually going to sleep. Yeah, which I think is a you problem <laughs> more that, than anything. That is fair that it's a me problem. But, but so like the late games are like the Utah game at 730 is tailor made for you because 730 uh, later on, like that's when you come to life. You'd be awake all through the night and going to sleep at But the worst part about 730 games, you have to wait the all anticipa- day. T- anticipation all day for yeah. it sucks. But, like, it's not a big deal to you to be at 3 a.m. and still being awake. Where, like, for me, that's death. Yeah. So covering the game, and, and not just that. When you're covering a game, you have, you're, using your, you're, you're using your brain. You're writing things down here. Right. You know, so it's brain power, and my brain shuts off at 9 o'clock. You, like, you know yeah. this. My brain just goes, Pfft. So it was really nice to not have to... Uh, deal with that do i think that they should make 9 a.m games a thing no they shouldn't because uh on the west coast you shouldn't be asking players to wake up and have breakfast at you know five o'clock in the uh, five o'clock in the morning four o'clock in the morning like as someone who regularly wakes up at stupid early times to watch premier league games or f1 races like it's not good to wake up earlier than than you're supposed to having a good night's sleep is incredibly important to your performance in the day and when it comes to football games, I want the players at their peak performance level, and I don't think 9 a.m. is it. Yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree with that. I think that I-, I have an interesting thought here because, yeah, it's cool being able to get home from the game and then having uh, an evening in which everything else is done. Th- at the same point, 
I found it very fascinating about how much of the day is consumed by football. Because we, the, by the time we called it a day, it was still late. So the game started at 9. It ended at just a smidge before 1. It was a really long game, right? So it ended a smidge before 1. We left the press box at 3 o'clock. Two hours after the game. Well, it was probably more like 3.15, 3.30 because they extended our time in the press box. They extended box to 3.15, but we, we were out of there at 3. Yeah. Yeah. We got home just after 4 o'clock by the time we, we got food on the way home. So about 4 o'clock. And then we recorded ate, the, the car ate, cast. ate said food, recorded the car cast, I edited the car cast, and then posted it at about 6 o'clock. And this was after we had written multiple articles on the site while we were in the press box after the game. So we did everything that we needed to do, but it was still 6 o'clock that we finished, which was five hours after the game had ended, which was nine hours after the game had started, and it was 6 o'clock, which was 11 and a half hours after we had left the house. And yeah. mind you, and, and we had left the house and gone directly to the game, when a lot of times we'll go to the game early to tailgate or whatever or to walk around campus or, or what have you. There was none of that Yeah. The, 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 with the early kickoff. So, And then I think about it, it kind of makes sense because when you look at the night games, so many times we're getting you know home or finishing up and it's 3, 4 a.m. Yeah. And it does make sense if you pan out the hours. Well, yeah, if the game ends at 10.30, five hours after that is 3.30. Yeah. So that makes sense about that's when we would be finishing up on things. So we finished at six o'clock and we had an evening of it. The The thing that I think blows my mind is that I think of that when games are at 1230, that we tend to, to have an evening. But it's but, not really. But it's not really it's like because we're, we're, we're still finishing at, at 8, 830, 9 o'clock. Yeah. And so even then, uh, that's that's completely taken up the entire day. So. I don't know. I, I think I, I think when when you commit to doing this um, and doing what we do, I think that we have to just admit that it's going to take up the whole day, um, and it is what it is. I, I uh, the the good thing about the seven thirty games is you have the day. The good things about the nine a.m. games is you have the nights. And I think at the end of the day, it's pick your poison. It's ultimately the same thing, mm-hmm. with the exception of for me. I hate waking up early, so I'd rather have the night games, and for you, vice versa. See, and and I like something that forces me to wake up early. I'm not a natural morning person, but I enjoy having something that gets me out of bed. Uh, Otherwise, I find it very difficult. Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch more listener questions, so let's take a quick break and come right back. You've got mail. All right, L.A. Fred says, with Todd Orlando being a linebacker guy and so much more camp hype about EA uh, and how he was balling out, why did it seem like our linebacker core was yet another non-factor? Because they were a non-factor, and that is very much a problem. It's one way of putting it. Uh, I mean, and this was this is the thing, is, is the hype around EA was, we had to trust the, the coach's word on it, and I, I don't... Maybe he's better in practice than than he was in the game. I, I just, you know, you know what it feels like. It feels like the linebackers existed to give pressure, that either the defensive line tackled for no gain or a loss, or the DBs tackled for a big gain. 
Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. Well, uh, that's why they were non-factors. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you could have... you. But they were non-factors because the linebackers were doing something, which is providing the pressure. Right. But that pressure was a double-edged sword. I just I just don't think the, the pressure was very effective. Like, if you're going to blitz your linebackers that often, you want to see them get home a few more times. You blitz all night! Yeah. 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 I, I, I got really tired of watching... Those two guys sort of run into the back of really the, go the forth was line. going in blitzing heavy. I told you, yeah, he was, but he still it still wasn't making that big of a difference. So, uh, Ali friend also says I thought we looked very slow across all positions when it came to team speed. Hope it was just the wet grass and early start. Your thoughts? I, I had the same random thought, and and I okay. I put it down to. It's been a little while since I've watched football in person. Now, L.A. Fred obviously wasn't watching in person, so it must have come across on the broadcast. But at the time, I thought, hmm, everybody looks a little slow, but it looked like everybody looked slow. Like, I didn't think ASU looked faster. I just thought guys are are, are running in place a little bit. I, I, I didn't notice it. I'll, I'll keep my, my eye on it for yeah. Arizona. Uh, Slack message from Samuel. At what point do we say let's try one of the freshmen at an O-line spot? How poorly does our current O-line have to play before we give one of them a try? They aren't getting any push and getting blown back, and Keaton is dealing with the rush anyway, then why not let some of the freshmen try to play? Uh, I mean, I think there there may come a point in the season where, where this is a, a valid question. The thing is, I just I think it's always a bad idea to start freshmen on the offensive line. I, I get that there are a lot of positions on a football team where we're seeing more and more freshmen thrive but on the offensive line you just that's just not something you want to see you develop them on the practice field first in I, my view. I think confidence has a factor here too I, I don't know that you want to throw those guys in there and get their confidence completely beat down like yeah like if the idea is that no matter who you put in there is going to get beat so might as well let the freshmen get beat so they get the experience I think that makes a lot of sense. With the exception of factoring in what confidence has to do with it. Um, Because you want those guys to be put in a a spot where they can succeed. Um, And I I, I don't know. I I think you you take the more experienced guy with the hopes that that he can do a little bit better uh, than, than the freshman, even if it means forgoing the additional reps and development of the freshman for, for now. You hope you can develop those freshmen uh, in other ways. Moving on, uh, Trent says, who do you think the Trojans can look to for energy going into a game in an empty stadium in Tucson? Well, they talked about this after the game at the Coliseum about how they have to generate that energy themselves with the sideline. Uh, I think you look at someone like uh, like Elijah Griffin who can bring that energy um, you know, even someone like Marlon Tupelotu can bring energy with his play. Uh, he's not like the rah-rah guy, but you did see him getting pretty pumped up at times with uh, with with what he was doing. Um, so uh, yeah, I think those are the, the. I think you you really have to find your energy by making plays. So uh, you know there 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 might be a chicken and egg situation going on there, but that's the way you do it. Yeah, and hey, if you want to talk about personnel, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing what Keaton Christian could do. Um, Get him in there, uh, get him involved, see if he can bring some speed, uh, a little speed element, element, and literally be that energy uh, because there's no longer a guy on this team who can who can do it, who we know that we've seen do it against Arizona. 
Dom Davis down the sideline. Yeah, he's done it at Arizona Stadium before. Uh, so now is the time to do it to Keenan Kristen, who we know can do it to Arizona, who did it at home last year. <laughs> this is true. So let's see what he can do this week. Uh, also, Trent's next question, is it time to start talking about IPM as the best player in this defense outside of Drake Jackson's potential? I've got an analogy for you. I think IPM is the secondary's version of Marlon Tuipolotu. Abso-freaking-lutely. In the sense that I think that Marlon Tuipolotu was overshadowed by Jay Tufele, and I think that IPM is overshadowed by Talanoa Hufanga. I absolutely think that Talanoa Hufanga is a hell of a player uh, and has the potential of going down as one of the best um, SC safeties, you know, in that pantheon of all those great guys. Um, will he be at the, that level of Lawton Polamalu? Probably not, but he, he could be in the range of, of what a what a carrier and a, and a McDonald and, and all those guys could be, right? I think Ufaga could be in, the, in that discussion. I think IPM is not as far off as you think. And I think part of that reason is because it's so easy to look at how good Hufanga is. And it's so easy to, to put all eyes on Hufanga. When IPM last year, he had interceptions in four straight games. He's very active. He's an active playmaker. You saw it in this ASU game. Yeah, he, he makes a, a flailing attempt to make a tackle on one play that goes 55 yards for a touchdown. But every other play of the game, I thought he was well, and, one of SC's most active players on defense. And Talano Hufanga was the one who screwed up that play in the first place. So, right. you know, it, it goes both ways. I think Isaiah Palmau was a guy that I picked to be one of the, the, the next level, next step kind of players for USC on defense. And I was very, very gratified in that by his performance. I would say that on the field, on defense for USC against ASU, it was Marlon Tupelotu and it was Isaiah Polamau who were the best players. So uh, I think if that continues, that's going to bode very well for, for USC. They just need you know their best players like Hafanga and Polamau to not make that critical error that leads to a touchdown. Yeah, for sure. And I will say that IPM and Hufanga, exactly the type of duo you'd love to see as, you, as you're starting to. Absolutely. These. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Slack message from Dave in Orange County. Was it me or did it look like Parker Lewis? A lot of pop in his extra points. Seemed to me like those things were way high. Like he's got a good leg. He showed bad floor on kicking that one on the bounds. And I'm not sure about his accuracy on actual field goals. But we may have something there with shades of David Beeler. Now, okay. Dave, David Beeler, I know one of uh, an SC fan favorite. But like what made David Beeler awesome was that he was a safety at heart. Uh, I, I still think like Andre Hadari was twice the kicker that David Beeler was. I mean, that may be the case, but I mean, David Beeler went to the NFL and none of the other guys did, but uh, well, again, that may be the case, but also David Beeler was a fan favorite because he was a safety at heart. And I yes. don't think Parker Lewis is a safety at heart, but I think he has more of that. He's going to, you know, have that leg and, and have the size to go. I mean, he's not wearing like a, a roll on his neck, but he, I think he has the size to go out there and, be a good special teams player so yeah i think it's encouraging i i will like i will want to see him kick a field goal eventually either way he, the kid can't lose um this is true and somewhere here uh here, here it is here it is parker were you out last night parker are you up yet honey 
Yeah, that, that kick was up. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I knew I had some Parker Lewis. Uh, can't lose um, sound bites here on the soundboard. Uh, David Orange County also says, what do we need to do to get some design passes to our running backs? I mean, Carr was stutter as having receiver level hands, and now he's got five more inches in his vertical. Can we throw the ball up for that guy? There was a ton of passes to the running backs, 11 of them. Well, okay, I think I'm going to I'm gonna defend Dave here okay. because I think that defend him. they weren't necessarily – I think the first pass to Stephen Carr was designed to go to Stephen Carr, and he – there just, were a lot, definitely he, a lot of checkdowns. He rocked it with uh with that first touch, but yeah, most of the passes to the running backs felt like check checkdowns that really weren't set up to give the, the the running backs a lot of opportunities for success. So, uh, yeah, maybe you maybe you can have more uh design passes wheel routes to car. Uh, yeah, that I would love to yep. see some wheel routes and, and stuff like that, but. Uh, I don't necessarily want Stephen Carr to have to go up with his, you know, yeah. five inches on his vertical. I want, I want the ball to meet him in stride so that he can take off running. Yeah, I'd like to see some more um, heavy-handed swing passes. Uh, swing pass, heavy-handed by meaning like that was definitely the first read, like you saw in the the, the was that the second play of the game that passed to, to to Stephen Carr. More of stuff like that, I think, would absolutely behoove this offense. Um, especially as a way to kind of beat the zone, right? If they're going to drop back in zone, then beat them with some swings. Yeah, force them to force them to to play man. Uh, at least have a man on the uh, on on a running back, uh, and then maybe you can open up the inside guys like Amon Ross St. Brown or Drake London over the middle, where a linebacker isn't sitting there in zone. I think that that might be a way to uh, to to sort of do it. But either way, I th- I, th- I loved how the Receivers, I mean, sorry, how the running backs were active in the receiving game. I, I thought that was brilliant. Uh, you just like to see them not always be checkdowns, but I thought it was great that Keaton Slovis, for as much as he struggled in terms of getting the vertical game going, which never really happened, he was still able to rely on his checkdown backs. And for as much as we can criticize the offense for being uh, so clunky, um, they were able to um, fail correctly, right? Like when this <laughs> offense fails, it's going to be a checkdown, right? Yeah. Like when the play fails, there will be a checkdown option, and that checkdown is a trusty sidekick to someone like Ian Slovis on a day that's not his best day. Right, but I want Stephen Carr to have if he's going to have five catches, I want Stephen Carr to have more than twelve yards receiving. Sure. Yeah, so. I, I I agree. I, I definitely agree. Uh, last question comes from Dave. Uh, it was very uncharacteristic of Fanga not to force the receiver inside on that long ASU touchdown. Just the first game brain fart or something systemic in Todd Orlando's offense. In his in his defense. Uh, defense. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's the thing for Hufanga. I'm willing to give him the brain fart. I'm willing to give Isaiah Palamal a little bit of the brain fart there because you see this even with a with a perfectly fine offseason with a normal routine offseason you see first few games back angles are different you're you're even if you're tackling in practice different opponents are going to be different kind of speed to the table and uh and so it's just something that you have to get back into the groove of the game so i think it's it's more about the if if i'm going to put anything on first game jitters on 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 first game rustiness that's that's something that i'll, I'll extend that benefit of the doubt yes indeed 
Uh, well, that's going to wrap up the uh, wrap up the Fallout show talking about USC and Arizona State. Trojans win it 28-27. That's enough of that game for us. We're looking forward. USC and Arizona this Saturday. We'll be back on Thursday with our game preview show. Look forward to that. As always, you can email us, randomfansider.com, or call us, 213-373-1872. Let us know about your thoughts going into the Arizona game. Leave us any questions for our mailbag, and we'll get those into the next episode. Alicia, you got any final word? The final word is mighty. Listen, I still can't believe you're not a Mighty Ducks guy. They weren't. They weren't good movies. I'm sorry. They weren't. D two is is a is a classic. Also, the 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 ducks, the real ducks, having a cartoon as their their logo. Really? Come on. Come on. You're no fun. Come on. No. Go Kings. Uh, that's gonna wrap up this episode. We'll see you guys Thursday. Also, go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. You can listen to Alicia's rewatch episode, which delves into USC's win over Arizona State just a little bit more. Uh, until next time, we'll see you. See you. See you. See you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.